You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Deep Time. Hello my radio friends. I'm glad for your company today and I hope that what I want to share with you may strengthen your trust and commitment to God and His Word, the Bible. From time to time I've commented on the two world views many people hold in regard to origins. The two main world views are whether mankind originated as a result of unguided chance happenings over a long period of time, or if man was a special creation complete from the beginning. The first of these two worldviews is more commonly known as evolution, and it has been and is being aggressively thrust at the general public in many ways. It is very disappointing to me that evolution is taught in schools and universities and colleges as if there is no alternative. Of course, there is an alternative. Creation. But no effort is made to teach that in our public educational systems. Thus, most of our young people grow up with the evolutionary worldview and therefore generally reject the biblical account of origins. Even some churches have a confused teaching where evolution and creation are mixed, resulting in an unsatisfactory compromise. This is known as theistic evolution. There are several main issues dividing the evolutionist and creationist camps, and these issues are 1. Uncontrolled chance versus planned execution. 2. No intelligence versus intelligence. 3. No design versus design. 4. Progressive development versus mature species. 5. Long times versus short times. And 6. No God versus God. Today, I want to present some information that is very uncomfortable for the evolutionists. The information so shows the weaknesses of the theory of evolution, and I hope you listeners will accept that there is a creator God and that the biblical accounts you read about origins and of the worldwide flood are not cleverly invented stories, but are indeed truth. Today I'll be concentrating on time, particularly the supposed millions and even billions of years through which things are said to have developed. Let's start with the oceans. Evolutionists claim that the universe is about 14.5 billion years old, and the Earth, our planet, is about four to five billion years old. As you would know, at least two-thirds of the Earth's surface is covered in water, seas and oceans. It is estimated that the Earth's oceans are about three billion years old. Salt. 
that's sodium chloride, is being constantly dissolved out of rocks and soils and is carried by rivers and streams out into the oceans. It's a common knowledge that seas and oceans are salt water. Currently, about 450 million tonnes of salt is carried into the oceans and about 120 million tonnes of salt is removed each year, giving a net increase of 330 million tonnes of salt annually. As salt is a solute and dissolves in water, it is possible to calculate concentrations of salt and so measure the increase of the saltiness of salt water in the oceans over a given period of time. Scientists have been able to make those calculations based on current increases of how long it has taken for fresh water to have reached the current salinity of the oceans. They have calculated that at a very maximum it would have taken no longer than 62 million years for our oceans to have reached current salinity levels. If the oceans existed for 3 billion years, as is claimed by the evolutionists, the oceans should be at least 48 times saltier than they are. Currently, the salt concentration in the Dead Sea is about 31%. The salinity of seawater varies slightly depending on the water temperatures, but averages out at about 3.5%. Now, you don't need to be a neurosurgeon to realise that 3.5% multiplied by 48 would make our seawater much, much saltier than the Dead Sea. It would be so salty that marine life would not be able to survive in it. If evolution is true, the sea is not salty enough. The earth must be much younger than classical evolution claims. Well now, a second issue that is uncomfortable for the evolutionists is about coal. Uniformitarian geologists claim that it takes millions of years for coal to form. They say the process goes like this. The first step is the accumulation of plant material in a swamp. The plant material sinks where, under slightly acidic conditions, peat is formed. The peat material must remain underwater Otherwise, it would oxidise and decay. An example of such decay is with leaves in forest. Forests, where, because of the presence of oxygen in the air, the leaves soon decay and the nutrients return to the soil. According to the evolutionist scientists, the peat becomes covered by accumulated thick layers of sediments. The pressure exerted by the sediments compresses the peat by about ten times and generates heat. Voila! Over long passages of time, 
coal supposedly is formed. But if that process was correct, there should be large quantities of sediments, such as sand, gravel and stones, mixed in with the coal. Instead, coal seams are generally quite pure. The thickest coal seams in the world are about 60 metres thick. How do the evolutionists explain how that coal is so pure? How do they explain the thickness of the peat according to their model? The peat would have needed to have been 600 metres thick, and that's double the height of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. It has been observed that coal seams are quite flat. Given the long ages the evolutionists say was involved in forming coal, there should be signs of erosion with channels in the coal, where streams cut through while the sedimentation took place. Why are the coal seams so flat? Now the same has been observed in the sedimentary layers in the Grand Canyon. The layers are flat. If those layers took millions of years to form, there should have been a lot of erosion and channels and gullies should have formed. But the layers are flat. As occurs with sedimentary layers and sometimes in coal beds, is what is known as polystrate fossils. This is, say, where a tree trunk vertically projects through various rock layers and even through coal beds. If one believes the evolutionary explanation of coal and sedimentary layers of rock taking anywhere up to hundreds of millions of years, how come a tree could survive for millions of years while sediment was collecting all around it? The thing is, that sediment must have arrived quickly. Coal formation is not a process that is occurring in the present day. The deepest peat bed is found, has been found to be about 30 metres thick and would need to be covered by at least a thousand metres of sediment to form coal. The coal layer would be less than a metre thick. The evolutionary idea about the formation of coal seems simple, but it has major flaws. A much more reasonable model for coal formation is found in the Bible, where a massive amount of moving water ripped up forests and vegetation and deposited sediment over the mass of vegetation quickly. That massive flood is described in Genesis chapters 6 to 8 and is often referred to as Noah's flood. I have in my possession a piece of rock on which is imprinted the shape of a fossilised fern. For that to have happened, the fern would have to have been buried quickly, otherwise it would have rotted away. I consider it is reasonable to believe that the vegetation that is turned to coal was buried quickly and massively and not 
over millions and millions of years. Now for a third issue. This is about mutations. Mutations are changes within the gen genetic code of living things. Evolutionists claim that mutations are the engines of change within species so that fish were supposed to have evolved into reptiles, reptiles into birds, monkeys into man and so on. But there is a problem. According to the evolutionists, there is an upward progress so that with each change information is added to the genetic code, to the DNA, so that species become more and more perfect. Hence the concept that monkeys progress to become man. And here's the problem. In fact, with mutations, there is generally a loss, not a gain, of information. Some geneticists claim that they have never ever found any beneficial mutations. If that is the case, then what changes that might occur are not for the better. Instead, there is degradation instead of improvement. In human beings, each new generation has at least 100 more harmful genetic mistakes than in the previous generation. Information, instead of being gained, is lost. With that, given time enough, the degradation within a species will cause it to become extinct. The present high rate of mutations is a powerful indication that life on Earth is not millions of years old. Because of the harmful mutations, life should have disappeared long ago. Now, according to standard evolution theory, modern man is supposed to have evolved about 200,000 years ago. Primitive man, for example, ape men, are supposed to have appeared millions of years ago. The standard reckoning for a single human generation is rated at about 27 years. In 200,000 years, that would mean there would have to have been 7,400 generations. In that period of time, because of genetic mutational mistakes, man should have, mankind should have become extinct. There is a very strong case to be made in support of the biblical account of origins. Using that model and the chronology given therein, there have only been about 150 to 200 generations in the approximately 6,000 years since God created the first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve. Genetic mistakes continue, but man survives only because the number of accumulated mistakes has not yet reached the tipping point to extinction. Man 
has been degenerating since creation. <clears throat> We're going to take a little break here and go on straight afterwards. Based on the genetic mistakes, man has been degenerating since creation. And while considering the issue of degeneration, this brings us to the fourth issue, that of the decay of Earth's magnetic field. To briefly explain what the magnetic field is, the Earth has certain characteristics like that of a magnet 
with a north pole and a south pole and magnetic fields of force. And this can be seen by placing a bar magnet under a thick piece of paper and sprinkling iron filings over the top. The filings become arranged in distinct lines and patterns according to the magnetic fields of force. A compass points to the North Pole, that is, the North Magnetic Pole, which, unlike the North Geographic Pole, moves about. The direction and strength of the Earth's magnetic field has been carefully measured for the past several hundred years, and it's well known that its strength has been weakening steadily. At its present rate of decay, it loses half of its strength in 1,465 years. According to Dr. Russell Humphreys, today's energy decay rate is so high that the geomagnetic field could not be more than a dozen or so millennia old. In layman's terms, Dr. Humphreys calculates that the Earth is no more than about 12,000 years old. Secular scientists maintain that the Earth is about 5 billion years old. So if the magnetic field has been decaying by half each 1,465 years, either the field was extremely strong in the past, or that the Earth is much younger than most people assume. If the field was originally so extremely strong, all kinds of flying space objects would have bombarded the Earth, and the Moon would probably not be orbiting, as it would have probably already crashed into the Earth. Well, the fifth issue I want to touch on today is about soft tissue found in dinosaurs. Now, when an animal dies, tissue breaks down into simpler molecules quite quickly. Anyone who comes across a dead animal would know that the carcass stinks badly after only a few days of death. That's an indication of the breakdown of normal tissue. When a fossil forms, the process of burying has to take place very quickly. Otherwise, the creature is destroyed through decay. Soft tissue is the first to decay, and it's rarely found in the fossil record. Hard tissue, like bones, takes a much longer time to decay. Since the 1990s, there have been an increasing number of discoveries of soft tissue preservation particularly in dinosaur remains. These soft tissue discoveries have been flexible blood vessels, proteins, DNA and red blood cells. In Italy, preserved soft tissue has been found in supposedly 113 million year old dinosaur remains and red blood cells plus elastic blood vessels in other dinosaur remains in Montana, USA. One of the leading researchers who made these discoveries is Dr. Mary Schweitzer, who could not believe what she has found. 
she ran the tests 17 times before she acknowledged that what she had found was preserved soft tissue. More recently, preserved soft tissue has been found in terrestrial and marine fossils by other scientists. You might be asking, so what's the big deal? Well, it's precisely this. Soft tissue breaks down extremely quickly and cell damage happens in only a matter of a few minutes. A dead animal carcass, such as a kangaroo hit by a moving vehicle and laying at the side of the road, will be nothing but bones after a few weeks. Scavengers and tissue decay are responsible for the breakdown of the animal. It has been proposed that no protein nor DNA fragments can be recovered from a dead animal after just 100 years. Red blood cells decay almost immediately after death has occurred. It is assumed that dinosaurs died out about 65 million years ago. Yet, since preserved soft tissue has been found in dinosaur bone marrow, one must accept that the dinosaurs died out recently and or that the evolutionists have their time scales completely wrong. Preservation of soft tissue in fossils claimed to be multi-millions of years old must make one question the evolutionist postulation of deep time. And I'd like to briefly mention some other issues disputing long ages spruiked by the evolutionists. I've touched on these issues in some of the earlier Give Me the Bible programs. One's about erosion. Given current rates of erosion, the earth should have become completely flat at least 19 times if it's as old as the evolutionists claim it is. And another is about solar dust. As well as light, heat and various electromagnetic waves given off by the sun, it also sheds solar dust. Using delicate instruments, scientists have been able to measure the amount of solar dust arriving on the Earth over a given period of time. From those measurements, it is possible to calculate how long a period that dust accumulated. And the moon has been an ideal place to test the time the dust accumulated as there's no atmosphere on the moon to disturb the dust. When man landed on the moon in 1969, it was found that the dust was only a few centimetres thick, indicating that the dust had accumulated for less than 10,000 years. If the Earth and the Moon are supposed to be 5 billion years old, the accumulated solar dust should have been metres thick. My friends, the evolution tale, with its millions and billions of years, is repeated and repeated. And because of that, people blindly accept it as truth. Yet, there is plenty of evidence to show that the earth is relatively young, thus supporting the Bible account 
of origins. And that's one of the reasons why I regard the Bible as truth. And you do well to believe it too. <laughs> 